0: Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit okcfirst.com. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Nicely done, kids. Thank you very much. Well done. You go find seats. Didn't they do a good job today leading worship? I think they did. Scripture was read beautifully. Now I've done. I've done something uh, today that uh, I may come to regret. We had we. Uh, you put paper clips on all your worship folders. Now, that's actually a part of the sermon, right? I want you to, some people, I, I saw some people today who said, Why are there paper clips on the, on the worship? We sort of toss them aside. No, this is a, a part of it today. The paper clip on the sermon, I, I kind of want you to have it in your hands. You're going to mess with it. You're going to piddle with it. You're going to bend it around. That all works today. That all works today because of this sermon series that we're doing today. Um, the sermon series that we continue today is called Imagine. And, and I hope that your imagination is at least somehow peaked. Your curiosity is peaked as you have this paperclip in your hand today. The, the season that we're in is the season of Epiphany. And the season of Epiphany is that season that we celebrate the creativity and the imagination of God who seeks to unleash that creativity and that imagination on his good creation, on God's good creation. And we are the means whereby, we are the means whereby that creativity will be unleashed. But I am concerned that at times, Christians underestimate and underappreciate the absolute importance of imagination. But hear me say this. I think there are a few elements that are indispensable. If we were to somehow reduce Christianity to a kit, I would say in this kit, you have to have the following. You have to have a selfless, sacrificial love. You have to have it. You have to have it. You also have to have integrity (laughs) so that people actually believe you when you say, I love you. It has to be integrity. You have to have imagination. You have to have imagination because what God wants to do, God wants to do in and through you. Which means at some point, you will have to tap into the imagination of God. And so we're going to have this, uh, this series, uh, several weeks worth of a series on imagination. Now sometimes imagination, and I'm going to use another word uh, sort of interchangeably today, and that word is creativity, Sometimes with imagination and creativity, what you do is you you make something out of nothing. You conjure something out of nothing. That is not what we are doing today. Today, we are talking more along the lines of the creativity or the imagination that takes what is, maybe like a paperclip, and does something imaginative with it. So today, the imagination, the creativity that we're going to talk about today is not the creativity or the imagination in which someone makes something out of nothing. It's a very important distinction. What we're talking about today, what I believe God wants to do with us and then through us, I think God wants to take what is and reimagine it, reorganize it, recreate it. And so you have a paperclip. Now, if you look up online, you say, okay, I need to uh, work a group of people, a small group or even a large group through some exercises and creativity to somehow broaden or expand or deepen their creativity, a lot of the time you're going to see this whole paperclip thing come up. And so people try to do amazing sorts of things with paperclips. Um, This is actually made completely out of paperclips, right? Now, when I saw this, when I saw this, it made me think of somebody who's actually in our church We have somebody here in our church who is a genius when it comes to taking something that is, the the normal and the mundane, and making something spectacular out of it. For example, uh, this is a space shuttle. Now, Kent, you did this, and you had some help doing this, but how many milk cartons are involved in this particular space shuttle? Only 41,000 cartons of milk are involved in making, and, and it says here, but, but tell me how big, and it says 14 feet wide and 22 feet tall. So this is in your garage or something like that, or where is this right now? At the school. But you won an award, a $5,000 award. Because of this incredible creativity and imagination. Whenever I have uh, the need for something incredibly creative or, or imaginative, this is the first call I make right here. Kent Hathaway can take what is and make something amazing out of it by rethinking it, reorganizing it. That is the key thought you have to think as we move into these verses in this passage of scripture today. God seeks to do something with what already is now you recognize right that when god we have this we have this narrative early in scripture the story of the creation god breathes into creation and things happen now you might say to me oh well there's something there's a time when when god made something out of nothing well actually if you look That the words that are there, the words that we have in Hebrew when translated, lead us to believe that what God actually did was he took stuff and reorganized it with his breath and made it into something that was alive, living, life-giving. God's about to do it again today in this very important story. This story is so important, the baptism of Jesus, that the Christian calendar says you need an entire Sunday just to talk about the baptism of Jesus. So I want to ask you a question. I don't want to leave the topic we've been talking about, but I want to ask you a question. Why in the world did Jesus need to be baptized? Now think about it. In a moment, um, well, let's just say it right now. Uh, in your calendars, you might mark February the 9th. February the 9th is the next time we're going to have a baptism service. We've already got some people who are ready. They're going to be baptized that day. Um, Luz Evita is going to come in. They're going to be a part of that baptism service. If you would like to be baptized, please let us know by writing that into the worship folder or the friendship folder that you're going to pass here in a little bit. That day we will also invite people to affirm or reaffirm or confirm their baptisms. and We have a brief ceremony that Jason will walk folks through that day as well. But why? Why be baptized? Most of the time we ask people, are you going to be baptized and why? They'll say, well, I understand it to be some sort of a, a ceremonial cleansing ritual. Did Jesus need cleansing? Why was Jesus baptized? All the Gospels have this story. I mean, it's a very important story. Why was Jesus baptized? Well, I I think there's a great answer here, and in fact, Jesus gives it to us. But let's back up a little bit. In those days, and we talked about this several weeks ago, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Things are about to change, is essentially what he was saying. Things are about to change, and I want to know who wants to be a part of this big change. And i got to tell you, people came out of the woodwork. Now, it wasn't that it wasn't about ceremonial cleansing, because... Baptism, as John would have understood it, and as we understand it, does involve some sense of cleansing, some process whereby you are not only cleansed, but then set aside for a specific great purpose." And so these people came out of the woodwork to be baptized by John because they too believed that something was about to change. They all had heard these rumblings about this Messiah. They all believed that this Messiah would bring about this change. So they all came out to be a part of this change, recognizing that they needed to be ceremonially cleansed and set aside for this specific purpose. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Then Jesus came. To John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John was like, Wait a minute, you're the author of this entire movement. Why am I baptizing you? John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, and if we would have translated it today, it would have gone something like this Jesus answered him, Just let that go. <laughs> let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. What in the world? One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of N.T. Wright, who, by the way, uh, a couple of you have alerted me that he's coming to town, and yes, we need to figure out a way to go and and hear him speak and whatever. One of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, is famous for saying this. God seeks to put all creation to rights, to set the world to rights, to get it all back, to fix it. Keep in mind. That in the book of Revelation, we've talked about creation. Let's talk about the end of all things, Revelation. God does not say, I'm going to make all new things. God says, I'm going to make all things new. Does that make sense? I'm not going to conjure more out of nothing. I'm going to reorganize what is, I'm going to make all things new. Jesus said, yes, this movement has begun and I want to be identified with the movement of putting things to rights. I will be a chief means whereby things are put to rights. And so, I love this. Watch what happens. And when Jesus, you like this little, I did that just for you, that little graphic right there. And when Jesus had been baptized... Just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit. But perhaps it could have been translated the breath of God, descending like a dove and alighting on him. God creates with his Old Testament word ruach or breath. The breath of God creates. But the New Testament word pneuma also could be translated as breath, also could be translated as spirit. So you might say it like this, what God does in Genesis in the creation narratives, God is trying to do again, trying to breathe life into a creation in desperate need of reorganization, in desperate need of imagination. And Jesus says, yep, I am the image of the invisible God meant to do just that. Jesus defies the math. What I mean is, in this 100% Jesus, it's not like you have 50% God and 50% man, which, when added together, gives you 100% Jesus. (laughs) No, what you have in Jesus, and again, you're going to have to suspend your rules where math is concerned, what you have in Jesus is 100% God. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But you also have 100% man. Can I get an amen there? So what you have in this unique, unique entity is not just the image of the invisible God. Paul says that, but Paul is just as careful to call this Jesus the new Adam, the new Israel. The word made flesh, says the book of John. So yes, when we look at Jesus, we get some idea of what God is like. But hear this. But when we look at Jesus, we also get some idea of what we can be like. You're not nearly as excited about that as I want you to be. All right, so I'm assuming it's a volume problem, okay? All right. The people of God, the people of Israel, God designated the people of Israel, set them aside and said, I will through you reach all peoples. I will through you reach all people. I have chosen you, not because you are bigger or better looking than anybody else, but because I wanted to have a a group of people who would embody me, says God. And so Israel, Israel is known as the people of God. But when it didn't work quite as well as God hoped for it to work, the people of God become the person of God. Make sense? And so Jesus is in his own flesh, The full realization of the dream of God for humanity. And Jesus comes and breathes and keeps breathing and keeps breathing in the hopes that that breath to create and recreate and imagine and reimagine. In the hopes that that breath can then be transferred to us. So the people of God becomes the person of God in the hopes that the person of God can become the people of God. How are we doing? So far so good? Not at me if you're at least in the room. All right, good. You smell the chili. I know that's what it is, right? So the people of God becomes the person of God who not only gets it right where God's concerned, but gets it right where humanity is concerned. And because of this bridge now built, it's possible now for this person of God to again become the people of God. Which means then, that we have a better understanding of what it means to be the people of God. Because apparently, here's what it means to be the people of God. It means that we're supposed to do what God does with God's life. So, if God breathes new life, reorganized life, if God makes all things new then that gives us some idea of what we're supposed to be if, in fact, that is God's highest hope for us, that we would partner with God and, like Christ, breathe new life into the world. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Now, there's another passage of Scripture that we could have used today. From Isaiah chapter 42. Now now watch this. In Isaiah chapter 42, also slated for us to read this particular Sunday, you will hear some words that sound very familiar. In fact, here's what we believe. We believe that this story, written of the baptism of Jesus, probably leaned very heavily on Psalm 2, perhaps also on Isaiah 42. But listen, as God says, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him; he will bring justice to the nations. Now, I wrote a paper on this when I was in college, and I, actually, when I went back to school to get, a, to get my uh, theology degree, I wrote a paper on this particular subject matter: uh, the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. It sounds riveting, doesn't it? What is the identity? Who? What is the identity of the suffering servant in the book of identity uh, in the book of Isaiah? And truth of the matter is, as I searched and I searched and I searched, I I found that there were perhaps multiple answers to that question. When Scripture talks about the suffering servant, who is the suffering servant? Who are we talking about here? If I were to keep reading, verse 2. He will not cry, or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, One of the answers is, well, it's obviously a predictive text. It's only talking about Jesus. But if we're going to say that it's only talking about Jesus, then we're saying that it had no meaning for the people way back when, when the book of Isaiah was constructed, and that's not accurate. That's not correct. The truth of the matter is, it looks like this. The suffering servant probably was a way for this writer to talk about, again, the people of God. The people of God were meant to suffer on behalf of the other peoples around the people of God, Israel, in the hopes that they could, by their suffering, redeem more and more and more of creation. The suffering servant does help us to understand better the role of Christ. So what is it, John? Is it talking about King Hezekiah because he was a suffering servant way back when? Is it talking about the people of God or is it talking about Jesus? And probably the answer is yes. Probably this is the kind of concept, this suffering servant, that we continue to add to as we understand what it means to be the people of God in the tradition of Christ. Maybe we too are supposed to take this role, the role that we see described here in these verses in the book of Isaiah. Look at verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and I have kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon from the prison those who sit in darkness now again i think we do a great disservice to christ and christianity <laughs> when we make now, now hear this i want you to hear what i intend to say here when we make christianity too spiritual When we make Christianity too spiritual so that it's so spiritual that it's not tangible, I think we do a great disservice to Christ and Christianity. Let's go back to the subject matter of baptism. Why get baptized? Why get baptized? Is it just to somehow care for your spiritual needs? Is it just somehow to care for your soul? Because I think we all have seen that periodically. We have seen a a faith system constructed. We have seen a faith system embodied that seems to care only about the soul and whether or not you've actually answered that magic, magic question that cares for your eternity. But Christianity can't be limited to just matters of the soul. It can't be limited to just matters of spirituality. It can't just be about your eternity. It really just can't be about You or me. Hear this. And I know we have kids in the room. The highest goal of faith, God's highest dream of faith for us as adults and for our kids, is larger than good behavior. I like that. It is larger than good behavior. Listen, I had this conversation with my son this week, this week. What does God want from you? What does God want from me? What does God want from us? One of the answers is God wants me to not do bad things. That's one of the answers. (laughs) It really is. I think it is the dream of God that you and I would not commit adultery. I think it is the dream of God that you and I would not steal, harm, destroy. I do think that is the dream of God, that we would not do wrong things or bad things. Hear me say that. In fact, it's a great place for an amen. God wants us to not do bad things. Ready? Amen. But that is not all there is. In fact, anytime we have couched Christianity in ways that leave a young person or an old person or anywhere in between, with the sneaking suspicion that what God really wants is behavior modification, then we have so severely undercut the energy and the imagination for Christianity that perhaps that's why we can explain why things in creation aren't better than they are. Maybe things in creation aren't better than they are because Christians at some point got to the place where they believe that, wow, as long as I don't do bad things, I am all that God wants me to be. No, your good behavior, your good moral behavior that can be defined negatively, I don't do bad things, or positively, I do really good things, those things are not the end of the story those things are the absolutely essential building blocks for the larger thing that God wants to do, but what God wants to do is beyond the avoidance of foul language. It's beyond the avoidance of these other behaviors that we all are right to identify as sin and sinful, but what God wants to do is more than, greater than, deeper than, broader than, more exciting than just you finally figuring out a way to control yourself. What God wants to do is recreate in and through you. Reimagine in and through you. (laughs) What God wants to do is build on your goodness your good decisions, your good behavior. What God wants to do is build on all of that so that an entire life, an entire household, an entire neighborhood, an entire church can be reorganized to look more and more like Jesus. In other words, God wants to take what is and rewire it, reimagine it, reorganize it so that all of creation, all of creation can be redeemed. You don't ever get there, though. You don't ever get all the way there if your understanding of Christianity stops at your morality. Baptism is actually way more dangerous than that. I mean, truth of the matter is, John the Baptist really was saying things need to change, And things are about to change. And by your repentance, by your confession and your repentance, you can, in fact, turn toward this God. And you will find that this God is turning toward you. And once you have turned toward one another, that's when things can really change. But John wasn't just calling people to be better. John wanted people to come and be baptized into the revolution. I mourn that we have lost a little bit of that revolutionary spirit where baptism is concerned. I want us to keep getting it back. I think we're working that way. Rome hated it <laughs> when folks were baptized publicly because Rome understood that these folks being baptized into the movement were seeking significant change. Much of the time, that change meant that it would cost Rome something. And so there was a time in our history when Rome would go after would go after the folks who had been baptized because Rome understood baptism, sometimes better than we do. Rome understood that the baptized, the baptized had pledged their ultimate allegiance not to Rome, but to king and kingdom, Christ and kingdom, which made them a threat to the Roman culture, the Roman establishment, the Roman rule of law, peace as it was defined by Rome. John the Baptist said, enough. Enough is enough. There's a Messiah afoot. There's a Messiah around. Who wants to be a part of this revolution? And up walks this Jesus. Jesus says, yes, it's time. It's time. He goes into the water. He comes out of the water. Heaven opens and God breathes the possibility of new life again. Not just for lives, certainly for individual lives. But not just for individual lives, but for all of creation. In other words, God wants to take something, make it new, make it different. Isaiah 42 See, the former things have come to pass. The new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. <laughs> That verse just drips with imagination. But it also seeks our participation. There is in your worship folder um, a brief little story out of the Huffington Post about a a tattoo artist. A tattoo artist who has to be on the road quite a bit. But not too long ago, uh, his four-year-old daughter said, Daddy, I drew you something. Okay, let me see it. But she actually made mention of this art project that she had done for him while he was trying to get out the door and get to the airport. I said, give it to me. Or just give it to me. I'll take a look at it in the airport and on the plane and everything. And he took her little drawing, and then he did what he could do, and it came back looking kind of different. And now he just asked for their art all the time, and, and that's pretty cool. And, and that's pretty cool. And that's way cool. <laughs> In other words, you have this father who is taking what is, and he breathes his own sort of life into it, and the result is an incredible piece of art. But that incredible piece of art required the participation of his child. Are you starting to get it? I love the song the kids sang today. He makes beautiful things. And I think we are right to hear a song like that and hear it as having reference to our individual lives because sometimes our individual lives can feel a little bit like the dust that is mentioned there. Sometimes pain and chaos, havoc, sometimes it can all make a life feel absolutely dusty. So we are right to hear In those songs, we are right to hear from our kids that this God has the capacity, always has had the capacity to breathe real life into dust. But Jesus is saying something more. John the Baptist is calling for something more. The prophet is saying something more than just that individual lives would be reclaimed. As important as that is, and we must continue to sing that song and help people to understand that as they understand their lives to be dust, this same God can breathe life into dust and make something beautiful out of dust. And yes, it will always mean individual lives and all of creation. What God needs, what God really needs is a group of people Maybe a group that looks a lot like this group of people. Maybe a group that looks a lot like us. What God needs is a group of people who believe that God can and will and wants to use us to breathe new life into lives, into households, into neighborhoods, whole situations. So yes, God wants you to behave <laughs> But God wants you to behave so that God can, through your life, reorganize all of life. So that God can, through our lives together, reorganize all of life. Your calling, my calling, as a follower of Christ, is a high calling. And at times it seems like a, a difficult or an even impossible calling And I'm just talking about me and my own behavior modification. But the calling of Christ is that I would be something more than just a well-behaved pastor. (laughs) Well, that sounds boring, doesn't it? (laughs) No, the call of Christ is that I would, with you, participate in the reclaiming of all things. But in order to do so, we will need a divine sense of imagination. The capacity to take milk cartons and make space shuttles. <laughs> and it actually flies, actually. It actually flies. No, it doesn't actually fly. Okay, well. We will need to have this capacity to take paper clips. something as simple as a paperclip. Understand the the symbolism here. We will need the capacity to take a look at something that we have always seen, maybe something mundane, something we see all the time. And yet, given the capacity to see as God sees, given the capacity to love as Christ loves, we can take the simple and the mundane and see it reorganized according to the very nature of a creative and loving God. That's our calling it's more than good behavior. It's partnership and ultimate redemption, if you have the imagination for it. In a moment, we're going to go to prayer. These side altars will be, uh, these side altars will be available for anyone who needs this prayer for healing. And these front altars will be available for anyone who wants to pray any kind of prayer. Now, you'll have that opportunity to go to an altar for healing or one of these altars after you will have had the bread and the cup. I, I try to give you some way to approach the table, and here's the way I want you to approach the table today. I want you to think of that tattoo artist who says to his kids, you give me what you can do, I'll do what I can do, and together we'll make art. Every time we come to the table, it's the same call. God says, you give me what you've got, I'll give you what I have, and together, there will be life. So as you come today, with your hands cupped, you come ready to not only give all that you are, but to receive all that God is. Recognizing that somehow, when God does what God does, and you do what you do, the result Is life. If you're helping us this morning, would you go ahead and come and take your place? Let me go ahead and pray and, and bless the elements, and I'll have a few more directions after that. Dear Heavenly Father, we do need a fresh burst of creativity and imagination so that we can, like you, so that we can partner with you, take what is, reorganize and reimagine it reimagine it, so that it looks more and more like you. So bless these elements, bless this bread, bless this cup. And by these elements, Lord, nourish us to be people of divine imagination, divine courage, deep sacrificial love, Absolute integrity. So here are your directions in a second. You'll see that these folks are gonna fan out all over the sanctuary. Around here we take communion. Every time we take it, we take it by intinction. Which means that as you come up with your hands cupped, ready to receive, means that someone's gonna take a pinch of bread and press it right into your hands. When they do, they'll also say this to you: this is the body of Christ broken for you you're to take that piece of bread immediately and dip it right into the cup standing right beside the person with bread will be a person with a a giant goblet of juice (laughs) take that bread and dip it right away into that cup when you do the person holding the cup will say the blood of Christ shed for you and then you just take and eat it right then and there now you'll have a decision to make at that point you can cycle right back around and go right back to your pew. I hope if you do that, you'll remain in an attitude of prayer, a posture of prayer, or maybe that's when you come and you find a place to pray at one of these altars. Again, the side padded altars are for healing, physical, emotional, relational, any kind of healing you need. We believe in that prayer and someone will meet you there to pray that prayer along with you. But these prayers, perhaps these prayers Are the prayers that people will pray at these altars? God, I fear that my life is right now dust. God, would you breathe new life into my life? Or, God, would you through me breathe new life where there is currently dust? (laughs) Or, God, Would you use us as a church, as a people, as a movement? Would you use us to reorganize all over creation? If you are unable to come to us, then Jason, when he's finished, he'll start looking around. If you'll just raise your hand, Jason will come to you. If you're in need of a gluten-free option, Jordan's going to have this right at the back. Right at the back, right back there. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, exit your pew to the left, come forward with your hands ready to receive what God's going to contribute to this art. Now across the sanctuary of you, stand up. All are welcome at this table. All who are aware of their need for God are welcome. Come and eat. to come and pray with someone who's up here that's entirely appropriate. I would encourage that, actually. You're certainly welcome to kneel where you are or even stand where you are as we pray. We're gonna pray a brief prayer of confession, a few prayers of intercession, and end with the Lord's Prayer. And we confess, Lord, because... We are those people who at times can see nothing but the paperclip. We can see nothing but the mundane, the ordinary, the perhaps the hopeless in a situation. We confess, Lord, that at times we're looking in the mirror when we understand ourselves to be in hopeless situations. Perhaps we understand ourselves to be hopeless. Lord, that there are times when we forget that yours is the breath of life that brings order to chaos, that brings life where formerly we had death. We forget, Lord, that you have the capacity to breathe and make dust into something alive. So forgive us for our forgetfulness. God breathe into us. Wherever you are in this particular journey, wherever, however you understand hopelessness, whether you're referring to yourself or a situation around you, be a great time for you to simply sit in the presence of a God who breathes life before, but maybe concentrate on your breathing now. Know that as you breathe in, you take in that which God makes available to you. So receive the breath of God. Father, there are some in our fellowship, folks that we know that are in pain due to illness or disease or injury or tragedy. We pray for Stuart McMinemy today and the loss of Gene McMinemy yesterday. We pray, God, that you would surround Stuart and his family and Gene's family. of so their sorrow God may they know you as the God who breathes life into dust there are many who are still sick in your worship folder there is a list of folks who are battling illness or injury I'll give you a few moments now in the silence to pray your own prayer you know someone who is desperately in need of a prayer for healing physical emotional perhaps relational healing as you're breathing in and out this breath of God would you breathe Best hope is that we would be a, a community of life-giving breath. So we pray God that you would continue to shape this place and shape this message. shape us so that we can partner with you to shape the neighborhood and the city. God, with this food, nourish us to be your people, to dream bigger and better dreams for ourselves, for our own lives, but also and beyond that, for the creation around us within arm's reach. Would you help us to be people who not only pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, but help us to be people who consider the words of the Lord's Prayer. May these words again challenge us today. May we mean them more today than we did last week. Move us toward a time, God, when we can actually see ourselves as embodying these incredible, creative, imaginative concepts. Church, I invite you now to pray along with me. The Lord's Prayer, and we will use the words debts and debtors. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit okcfirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.